all the forms of Marxism, communism, socialism don't work for black people because the woo-woo isn't there, the spirituality, the mysticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And surrealism as a political movement is what works within black context because it connects us back with the mystical and the spiritual that are radical roots are tied into but that's no but i mean that's a clip uh, yeah like thank right. you <laughs> yeah no i mean so that's i mean that's where i i mean a lot of my practice is coming in from that space too so how do we move sideways how do we move in that alterity take the lessons from that and then move forward so i don't know that i have a five-point plan but in creating my spaces i'm hoping to keep pushing specifically black queer imaginations black and indigenous imaginations towards eligibility because i think eligibility yeah i think like, black folks indigenous folks People of color often, like minoritized folks, are eligible to white supremacist imagination. Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza, and today my guest is Leslie Foster. Did you grow up in Columbus? I No, so I have family in Detroit and Columbus. Okay. I grew up, so I was born in Singapore. Okay. I grew up in the Philippines, Thailand. Well, not in that order. Let me do it in the order. So I grew up in Indonesia, Michigan, the Philippines, and Thailand. Um, and Michigan being the most culturally diverse. Of course, absolutely. Like, <laughs> no, so you're a third, culture. third culture I'm kid. I'm a third culture okay. kid. That, yeah. that, I, that, that's why we vibe on politics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You've been outside of the U.S. and you've seen how horrible we are. <laughs> <laughs> Though I always also point out, I've also seen how horrible everybody else is yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one of my reasons my parents moved there, especially my mom, is that, you know, uh, because of a desire to avoid anti-blackness, Anti-blackness oh, is everywhere, yeah, no, and that was the not, sort of heartbreaking yeah. discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, I mean, we, we can move on. <laughs> we don't have to go right into the heart of my politics. Oh, no, and, and no, talk about I it. love it. But, um, um, but, but uh, okay, and then like, uh, so then when did you, when was the art? I'd always thought of myself as an artistic person, like, um, but that was a really oh. internal conversation. It wasn't like the version of myself that I put out in the world. I had this plan. I want to do something that's still creative, but like can essentially establish me, allow me to be able to like make money and then I can do art things after that. Yeah. And in like 11 year old Leslie brain, what that looks like is I'm going to do aeronautical engineering because oh, Jesus. planes seem cool and sort of artistic to like design them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm decent at like the science and the math thing too. So let's just combine it. And then I think we're not, wealthy people and most of the aeronautic engineering schools are super expensive yeah yeah um but there is one free one in the u.s air force academy <laughs> <laughs> wait did you were you in the air force i was not okay shit we'll I, get there i did not expect this <laughs> no but as 11 year old i think i'm gonna go to air force academy i get my free education i get the training as an aeronautical engineer after i serve i can work for nasa boeing whatever yeah, yeah. make money money and then I'll do art things. I'll build my little art collective. My, like, I literally was drawing art communes as like a 10-year-old. Okay. Um, and it's a ridiculous idea, but you're 11 years old. And I stuck to that plan until I was 17, which meant I finished high school early. I started studying biology in college, not to do biology, but because I really wanted a good educational CV to be able to get into Air Force Academy. And so somewhere in the middle of that, my sophomore year of college, before I'm thinking about transferring in, I go to Austria and then Germany for a year to pick up a language skill. Um, I'd been studying Austrian, or not Austrian, but German um, since elementary school. Um, and I was like, I really just want to be able to speak it fluently. And that also will look good at my ed educational CV. So I moved to Austria 
eight days before 9-11 happens. Mm, oh, and at wow. this point, I'm 17. I'm already, like, really suspicious of my motives in doing this. I'm like, I don't want to be in the Air Force. Like, why? How did I set myself up? But, like, you, I'm on momentum now. Like, inertia has happened. Yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah. nothing stopping it. 9-11 is the wall that, like, stops my inertia. Because at that point, I'm like, there's no way I want to be involved in the military at this point. I, I didn't want to be for the last three years, but I just, this felt like the path. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And so I spend like just months in complete angst. And I was really lucky to have a cohort of like other language students um, who are a bunch of artists. And so I'm starting to see them like, and it hits me like also just in the trauma of 9-11, I was like, I could die tomorrow. Yeah. And I would be working to do something that I loved instead of just doing the thing I loved. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I should just do the thing I love. Yeah, yeah. Like screw making money, screw being practical. And that's the thing that kind of like shifts everything. And so I'm trying to figure out what does that look like? And so after six months of like me just being miserable, my roommate who's also an American, um, Chris is just like, hey, shut up, stop whining. I'm really <laughs> tired of you whining about this. What do you love? And I'm like, well, fashion, I like literature, I like art, I like dance. And he's like, oh, you put that together and that's film. Mm -hmm. And I have, maybe the only light bulb moment like that I've ever had in my life. Wow. Just like, boom, of course it is. That's so thanks to this roommate and yeah. Osama bin Laden. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Should put that in every book, right? Um, every show I have just like on the wall text. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, that did it. And like light bulb moment. And for me, I'd always been searching for the medium. What's the medium? And no medium ever felt right until I heard that. And so I went to film school then. So I transferred to a film school in the U.S. in Tennessee. I didn't go to film school necessarily to work in the industry. I wanted to do it as a medium. Here's the medium that I want to pick up. Um, but again, like I wasn't that exposed to video art. The school I went to was really phenomenal as far as being practical. They even you had to do a lot of art classes, drawing and sculpture. Mm -hmm. But like once you got into the film stuff, it was super practical. And so I'm doing these like weirdo video art things that like nobody in the film school got, but thankfully gave me the room to do. Um, but like, I really didn't have anybody introduce me to the notion of like video art within the fine art world. And so I thought I'll just do like, I'll carve out a corner for myself in the film world to do weirdo stuff. End up working in London for a year after I graduate doing music videos. Um, mm -hmm. and just traveling around, like doing music videos in Poland and Serbia. It was like a weird year. Um, I get fired. You're like an international man of mystery. <laughs> I, a little bit. I try. <laughs> um, I end up getting fired by my boss after my first year for not lying to customs about something he'd wanted to like sneak uh, past. And so I end up, my stuff is still in my flat in London and I'm here on Christmas vacation in the States and like all my stuff's back in my flat and I'm stranded here. And so I spend a month just sort of kicking around in Tennessee where I went to school, just crashing on couches. And eventually friends from art school and film school who'd moved to LA were like, hey, just move out here. And then, so wait, you said you had mentioned that it was accidental. How did that? So Yeah, so in getting, I mean, I wasn't planning on being fired. Like I literally was like about to go to the airport when he called me. I was like, I oh, need okay. you to do this. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that for And you. then he just fired and you And he on fired me over the phone. Wow. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I guess I'm not I'm, going back to I'm London. I'm so glad that I haven't, I'm not the only person that's ever been fired unfairly <laughs> over some bullshit, it's, over some criminal right? shit. Yeah, absolutely. Criminal. Oh God. So yeah. yeah so I ended up I, in back in Tennessee and then after a month to LA crash on a couch in the same building that I live in oh, <laughs> on wow, the wow. first floor here. We're in the third floor now to crash on the first floor with um, a friend of a friend. Um, and then when this apartment opened up, moved in, um, and I've been ever since so it's been 15 years. So that's, yeah. and then 
being in LA, slowly getting introduced to the art world. And I was like, because I worked in production for a while and I was miserable. I was good at it, but I was miserable. I was like, this is not what I wanted it to be. Yeah. I want to be making art. Tried to start my own nonprofit that I mentioned at the beginning, Traveling Muse. That And so, sorry, I, you actually didn't get to explain that because I was trying yeah. to figure out what level ground was. Right, right, right. So Traveling Muse was a nonprofit. It still exists, but it, it was a nonprofit that was built around the idea of basically mentoring young artists as they worked through creating experimental films and experimental documentaries. Okay. And we kind of just bit off more than we can chew, did a documentary about violent homophobia in Jamaica. So I spent in 2011, I spent five weeks undercover in Jamaica shooting this, had the funding up to that point, got home and just could not find funding yeah. for post. And I think that's sort of just like cratered the nonprofit. Um, it still exists. Um, um, Pavel, who actually was the chair of the board, is actually taking it over now. And we have some, or he has some really cool things planned. So I'm excited about what happens now. It's been kind of on ice for a decade. But yeah, that kind of was my last attempt to kind of like do art in the film world. And at the point, I was just like, I'm really not here for this anymore. I had a friend who was a curator, Sarah Kono. I always shout her out because like, me where i am in art is like largely thanks to her i, I mean that's my molly shoelace <laughs> molly shulman is mine <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but like sarah was like i've seen your college work you should be doing stuff in art space i have a show that i'm curating you should be in the show mm-hmm. and i was like and i told her no <laughs> and then she kept sending me nike swooshes on my phone like just do it just do it just do it just do it <laughs> and i got this idea um I called my friend Scott, who was a collaborator, and I was like, Scott, I think we have to do this. And we went out, shot a thing. We built a whole installation. I'd always wanted to do installation art, hadn't had a chance to do it. We built it in this gallery, and I just, like, I remember an opening night going, this is it. Like, it was a smaller light bulb moment, but it was like, I found the dialect. Mm -hmm. I found the language when I discovered it was, like, film was my medium. Now I know the dialect, and that includes sculpture and installation, and that's kind of the course I've been on ever since. What do you like about installation? Because I also relate to that. Like that, that I, I, there's something about organizing a space just the way you want it that is like pl- like a little kid in your bedroom. Like. Right. I mean, there's a few things to it, right? There's kind of a few levels to it. One, I just like creating an experience. Okay. And I like being multi-sensory. Like I had a show at the Torrance Art Museum in 2019 where I like covered the floor in like crushed cedar and rosemary and moss. And so like you smelled, smelled it. And yeah. it's like I'm creating memory and scent. There's also something I think within kind of like my own black radical tradition of just like subverting the Cartesian 90 degree angle space of the museum and the gallery and kind of your white box of a gallery. Cartesian is like a mathematical term, right? Right, a mathematical term. Like, you know, your your right angles and all of that. And like your very precise kind of, and just being like, let me put up like spiral chambers and fabric. Spiral chambers. Yeah, so chambers that you can have spiral into to walk into to kind of get to the center. And just like ways to kind of break up those surfaces and take up space. Mm -hmm. And so I like being able to kind of like, I'm not putting myself on a wall. I'm literally going to take up space in the middle of your gallery. And I sort of love the potential subversion of that. I'm not going to say it necessarily in essence is a, is a subversive act, but you can make it a subversive act. Yeah, Um, definitely. Um, What, so, uh, sorry. So your background, are you like uh, black American? Are you? Yeah, I'm black American. My, um, my dad's originally from Detroit. My parents, uh, my mom is from Tuskegee, Alabama. Both sides of the family go back to enslaved folks um, to the point where like the history disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so so you weren't going to you weren't doing the thing in Jamaica because like you were. Yeah, I don't have Jamaican roots necessarily, but you know, as a queer person, as someone who was like really concerned with like the really violent transphobia and homophobia there, I was like, I really want to tell this story. And like, Uh documentaries are heartbreaking anyway. And that was like that's lost a lot 
2011 was the last documentary I attempted because that process was just so heartbreaking. There, there's stories of people that You're I captured them. who are now dead. Yeah. And because we were never able to get the funding for that project, like that's... That story was never that told. That story is never told. And I actually believe that documentary will live again. I know that I am like permanently burned out on it. But like yeah. my dream, honestly, is to just like hand it to like an executive producer and another director and be like, finish the story. Yeah. Like here's all the footage finish this because um, I think it's necessary still I mean things have shifted in better ways but like you know when we went there we ended up um, interviewing and I'm forgetting the name right now it's not an ambassador because it's another Commonwealth country but the representative from the UK okay who was there and we got to interview him the equivalent of the ambassador and I was like you know what are your theories about why homophobia is so virulent here and he was like oh it's our fault <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't believe I got, yeah, the British. And I was yeah. like, I'm getting this like government official saying this on camera. That's wild to me. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, as we're sitting in this like colonial mansion that is the British embassy there or the high consul, I think it's what it's called. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, it goes back to that because you, you look at these like so many amazing West African traditions where there's like more than two genders there's all kinds of queerness and then colonialism comes and like you yeah. have and then what's unfortunately happened is you get these really violent strains um of homophobia and transphobia um that we see now is um i heard a comedian once say that uh the rastafarian religion itself is pretty homophobic is that accurate from my experience there from the people i interviewed i would say absolutely yes okay. uh, as far as like you know the music as well there's just there is is pretty intense um but yeah like even that documentary I was trying to do in a more experimental way. Okay. Um, there was all these, you know, people who had stories that they couldn't be on camera to tell mm. or people who had been killed. And so we collected all these stories and the idea was we'd come back to the U.S. and then have storytellers kind of be their voices um, and do that in kind of like a much more artistic way. And yeah, so, but that that project really was kind of like my last straw. I was like, right, I want to do this in another modality. Yeah, yeah. The industry, whether it's, narrative fiction or narrative documentary like nonfiction is not really the space for me it's not clicking in the way and that just broke my heart um, yeah, yeah that, no, key, that project broke my heart and so yeah starting to like kind of re-explore through revisiting my video art roots in a more pure form and kind of like this is just going to be within gallery space i'm not interested in kind of like modifying it or watering it down for the film industry and then getting to build installation that freedom that came with that was incredible yeah um what do you what what how is uh that's the 2011 so like now what what is like for example the piece that you just had at Torrance what are you working with like conceptually there yeah um because I've was... only I've only seen video of it but it's yeah. for people that haven't aren't familiar it's like a projection on cloth so it's an, a projection on an installation essentially. yeah exactly so I worked with uh, Jack X Proctor she's an incredible photographer installation artist in her own right also a fantastic uh, filmmaker. Um, so we created this kind of fabric sculpture mm. um, and then projected using four projectors onto it, uh, a fifth onto a, a piece of fabric by the door. Um, and we were sort of just really experimenting with like the places where our practices kind of merge and play. We're really interested in just bodies as artistic forms and dance and movement. Um, the piece is called Amniosis. We're really interested in kind of like that neutral state of being that's in the womb. So the piece should have felt a little womb-like. And in the mm -hmm. piece three performers kind of move through a space that we created using that same fabric before we turned it into the sculpture um, where their bodies are covered in kind of a layer of second skin that we created out of a mixture of like glue and face mask gel okay. and they're peeling it off of each other. And this kind of, you know, rediscovering of self 
the collision um, that's both like, you know, at times intimate, potentially violent between the individual self and the collective self. So we were talking about, you know, with the performers, this is collision and caress that's happening. And so um, I think we were just playing with all of those elements visually. Um, when I look at a lot of my work and that kind of like, it connects with some of my work, but it sort of stands alone as an island in that kind of little experiment. A lot of my work really is interested, and this goes back to why I want to do installations, in creating Black queer other worlds. So I want you to be able to walk into one of the spaces and be pulled into kind of this like temporary alterity, this space that exists sideways of us, parallel of us. Like an get, alternate universe. Like an alternate universe, exactly. Sorry to make it comic booky. No, I'm... no, no. I, look, I'm a sci-fi <laughs> and fantasy nerd. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I should not have assumed. I know a lot of gay men, <laughs> gay men love that shit too. <laughs> In fact, most of my nerdy friends happen to also be gay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I want there to be spaces for like that queer exploration and like queerness as that kind of fluid space right like I, one of the reasons i love queer it becomes like indefinable like you know it covers you know those of us who identify as fluid and all kind of in between as uh -huh. well and there's there's also that political implication that queer is subversion mm. like to me it's more than an identity marker it's a political statement how do you feel about that today though like nowadays when that that's actually this is really interesting i i i feel like the like with so many other things corporate america is kind of co-opting when you have cia doing like yeah. pro queer I, is is do how do you, do you feel like like it can st stay subversive in absolutely that? like i you know i refuse to let go of the word like we okay. fought for that word <laughs> you know no, no, in the same way yeah, and yeah. yeah and so like for me it's just like yeah whatever you do because here's the thing i in certainly like our hyper-capitalist world, and I think this applies for the arts too, anything that is subversive will be co-opted. Co yeah. It'll yeah. absolutely be co-opted. And at some point, you've got to stop running and trying to build new things and just go, no, this is where we no, hold. No, no, that, that's, yeah, yeah. But, and I, think, you on that. I feel that about queerness. I feel that about so many other things, about, you know, kind of black identity, um, the use of woke. Like, let's reclaim the use of woke because like staying yeah, right well staying woke <laughs> was about like being aware of where you couldn't go in the south like oh, stay woke what... don't drive through there stay oh, woke okay. be awake be aware be aware of that and when you got woke you became as a black person aware of when was this? white supremacy we're talking like 40s 50s okay. 60s right because because it's then it's been the what i understood right. it to be was like the five percenters the the nation of islam there's so that's also that, been right yeah so there's there's like a journey of that yeah, but it's yeah. just like can no we, but that makes yeah, sense that exactly and so there's always like there's eternal co-option and i think you just go nope like queerness is yeah. this and like um like uh well it, it i think as a i i I'm sorry there's an aircraft carrier <laughs> like flying through i don't know what the <laughs> fuck but i think i think queerness is an interesting one because it's not like a term like progressive because like progressive also like progressives right. used to believe in eugenics way way back you know right and, and like uh and so so it's an interesting term like that one, I don't mind letting go, because like yeah, I mean, I, like yeah, I'm a lefty. No, yeah. Like you, you, I consider you, myself a lefty. That's yeah, fine. you can. Yeah. You guys can be DSA all you want. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You're still to the right of us. <laughs> um, but but I do think. But but as somebody that like, as somebody who sees that as an outsider, but somebody that was like like I, I don't want to like 
take fake street cred, but like I grew up when homophobia made even straight people really uncomfortable, oh, right? Like, yeah. and it was like tormenting to even have a question about absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I relate to the queer movement from that standpoint. Yeah. And watching it sort of get co-opted, there's this really interesting thing where I think that. Like the queer people I know are cool. <laughs> and then there's this like representative thing that's happening with like CIAs and, and right. stuff like that. And and it, I almost feel like it's like it's intentionally made like, you know, because you're not supposed to like the CIA. So like right. if you're homophobic <laughs> and the CIA is pro queer, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Does that is that too paranoid? -y? I, I don't know. I think I think. A certain level of paranoia is absolutely valid. Um, I Here's the thing is that I think there's always a level of like homonormativity that comes with co-opted queerness. Homonormativity? Yeah. Like, um, you know, we are the same as you. We want to get married. We want to have the white picket fence. We want our kids. We're not all that different from you. Okay. I think it's like yeah, a, yeah. a really like simple distillation of homonormativity. It is. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm probably going to get bad at like an academic uh, dissection of it. So I'm not going to try. But like essentially... You know, the movement within um, LGBT folks to be as normal as possible, to be seen as not different. Yeah. Whereas queerness is about like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, maybe I don't want to get married. Maybe I don't want to have kids. Maybe I want to have multiple partners of multiple genders. I don't, like, can yeah, we yeah, subvert yeah, yeah. all of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing about queerness. And, like, that's the thing that's going to be hard to co-op because that's still on, like, the bleeding edge of things. And so when you talk about, like, that queerness, that queerness is fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, kind that's of that embodied fucking, spirit, that's, that's, that's the thing that I find so powerful. That's what I relate to as yeah. a, as a the Gen Xer, right. uh, you know, like coming up and just being like, uh, like just being confused by the whole thing. Um, but I also think there's an interesting thing, and, and I feel like I, I, I'm comfortable talking with you about this. There's like no gay country. Right? right that's the cia can sort of you know invade <laughs> right right so i mean we can leave it there <laughs> um but okay uh yeah let, let's go to safer uh, climates but uh, but yeah so so okay the, let's talk a little bit about more what like what these all i had a guest one time talk about uh latinx futurism yeah is that is 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 that similar yeah, i'm in absolutely interested in black futurity like my like in grad school my thesis was all about moving sideways to move forward so like this? using yeah that right there <laughs> buy this book see i'm already getting ready to have sponsorships and stuff even though i'm still very small I'm i like, love it yeah go pick this up yeah because uh, i'm, I'm my a person honey to kin I'm the I'm the person who decided to like do a whole monograph on top of like my actual like gallery installation. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's awesome. Who doesn't yeah. want a monograph? Yeah, exactly. I love um, monographs. But it's um, so well on coffee tables. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, to me, Black Futurity is really interesting, and um, I really Futurity. like Futurity. What's Futurity? The difference? So yeah, Jose, Futurism versus Futurity. Futur yeah, so Jose Esteban Munoz, Munoz, um, who wrote. Um, Cruising Utopia, which I have on the shelf there, um, defines futurity as the practice of looking back at what our ancestors did well. And he's speaking specifically in the context of queerness. Um, and he's talking about kind of a pre-AIDS queerness and going, 
how can we reclaim that? How can we bring those practices into our world now? And then what we want the future to look like and then building our own set of actions based on those two kind of like metrics. Okay. Like these past things from our ancestors, these future things that we want our descendants to kind of live in that world and then our actions today to kind of build that future. All right. Now that the... Um... The the the, uh, the the work outside is done. Let's just restart and do yeah, the whole yeah. episode over. Again. Okay, Does sure. that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've been waiting it for to, to get quiet to do that, and then longer to get. I was like, oh yes. Um, no, so okay, so then, like, what what? Uh, so then you're what like i mean i know it's a big ask yeah, but yeah. like what like do you have a five point plan <laughs> sorry to make it like that dumb but like no 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 absolutely i like how how do you how do, what, what are the the movements or the steps in, yeah. in, into something like this i think there's so many different pieces of it mm -hmm. um people living it into different ways so like alterity and futurity are often seen kind of as I wouldn't say diametrically opposed. I don't want to say that, but like kind of perpendicular to each other. So because alterity is kind of your Sun Ra thing, right? Like people call Sun Ra the, the father of Afrofuturism. I think he would actually hate that because he didn't believe in time in that way, or at least yeah, he said yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He was like, he literally was like, and my concerts, you're going to Saturn. Like you're yeah, coming yeah. with me into space. You're in space right now. And that's kind of an alterity, right? This kind yeah, of, yeah. it's almost a little more woo-woo in a way that I like. It's mystical, like you're stepping directly into this other world. And futurity is about that kind of like practical building, taking yeah. these lessons and building. I, and, I, would, I just want to point out that the woo-woo part is like something that like secularism has made uh, like kind of cringe, but... Right. This is going to pull me aside, but Robin D.G. Kelly, who's an amazing um, scholar, if you haven't read, a uh, uh, black socialist scholar, talks about how all the forms of Marxism, communism, socialism don't work for black people because the woo-woo isn't there, the spirituality, the mysticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And surrealism as a political movement is what works within black context because it connects us back with the mystical and the spiritual that our radical roots are tied into. But that's... No, but I mean, that's a clip. Uh, yeah. Like, thank right. you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so that's, I mean, that's where... I, I mean, a lot of my practice is coming in from that space, too. So how do we move sideways? How do we move in that alterity, take the lessons from that, and then move forward? So I don't know that I have a five-point plan, but in creating my spaces, I'm hoping to keep pushing specifically Black queer imaginations, Black and Indigenous imaginations towards eligibility. Because I think... Eligibility. Yeah, I think like, Black folks, Indigenous folks, people of color often, like minoritized folks, are eligible to white supremacist imagination. Like you are, are, are not legible, not the legible. like they don't yeah. register. Well, their fullness doesn't register. Okay. Like we yeah, are yeah, not, you know, sense. we are seen as these two dimensional characters. Anything beyond that is illegible to white supremacy. We are only legible to white supremacy in the way that it uses us and, okay. not, and nothing beyond that. And this is why, like, there's a the term um, rival geographies coined by Edward Said and then refined by the black scholar Stephanie M.H. Camp. And she uses it in the context of like in the deep south you if you were an enslaved person you're not escaping let's, let's just accept that fact like it's going to be very hard you're way too far south and what people would do is go truant so they would disappear for a week a month a few days however just to take a break yeah just to, knowing that when they came back torture would face them but that break was worth it and here's the thing she's kind of she, in her uh in her work she looked at research and the statistics from that most people went truant were never found so they literally created a second geography over this geography of confinement in which they were able to slip away and disappear. Um, which and is where would they disappear to? Into is caves, there any... sometimes into attics that were right there on the plantation. But because white supremacy and like 
plantation mentality only saw them in a certain way, their fuller selves were completely illegible. Going true and also meant like, you know, enslaved people from multiple plantations would like steal the dresses and the fine clothes that they had made for those plantation owners and go party at night and then oh. bring them all back. So it's just like these ways of creating these like spaces that were again, like temporary, but these temporary reprieves, these beautiful kind of like places of rest where freedom could be sought. And so I'm really interested in like, how do we take those lessons right now and apply them? Because we're still in need of those places where freedom can be sought. And so I think my contribution to that is like, let me create these spaces where we enter and have our imagination pushed in ways and then you can join in that yeah, yeah, yeah. process too so that's now i now yeah. i wish i hadn't just seen the videos <laughs> it looked really beautiful and I, I, I like i i just like i said i've just not been in a space to like go see shows I get but but so now much. but but now i'm like fuck man <laughs> it sounds really interesting um okay so then can i can i circle back and it like so I think that like nowadays the term radical is not treated the same way. Like no. after the war on terror and all of that, like it, it is akin to terrorism. Yeah. So would you say that like queer is the, is, 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 is you're using queer in that sense of radicalism, yeah, yeah. defiance and yes. stuff like that. Subversion, okay. um, the upending of existing systems. And what does that look like to you? Yeah, I think, I think it looks like a lot of things. So I think... No, I mean, to you oh, specific, to me specifically. Like, yeah, specifically, yeah. like, how do you and embody my, that? Yeah you, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of ways in which I embody that. So I think, one, in my work, I'm imagining worlds without white supremacy. So just that ha imagination. I think often what happens in activist spaces is, and I certainly know this, um, we get really upset about things, which we should. Yeah, Anger yeah. is great. It's pure burning fuel, I think working off of rage is really important, but we stop there. I want people to imagine what we're fighting for and what we're working for. And often like people don't have an imagination of that. So if I can contribute a small thing, maybe it's that, maybe it's our imagination of what lies beyond that point, what we can push towards. Yeah. Um, because at some point the burner, the, the anger, like a clean burning fuel burns fast and burns out and you're just left burnt out. Well, I mean, if you look at even like, uh, like the radicals, like the yippies, like yeah. they got, <laughs> yeah, right. They, they just, they, it, it, like, there is almost something that's maddening about it, like about being, uh, rebellious because they just wear you down. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like, do you have any examples? I'm sorry that my, all my examples are so like white, but are, are there people like that you would think of like, uh, like Abby, like, is there like a black Abby Hoffman aside from like. Fred Hampton, or do they? I mean, I immediately even... thought of Fred Hampton. I, like yeah. all of the Black Panther leaders, all of those folks, like you know, um, the leaders of SNCC, you know, like those folks. I think are great and then, examples. And like heroin and crack is how they did that, right? Yeah, and just straight up assassinations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and now, and now again, re referencing the thing, the the co opting is you got the, the uh, Martin Luther King FBI like yeah. using Martin Luther King exactly. quotes when they tried to get him to kill himself. I was in Detroit. And I walked past the Rosa Parks federal building and I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, so like the rage is important. The rage can't be the only thing. And I'm certainly not, you know, like going back to Robin D.G. Kelly, he talks about the marvelous and the marvelous is his space of surrealism, the space of beauty and poetic living and mystical living that is this thing that we push towards and work towards. And part of the thing that is exciting about it is that none of us have it defined yet. We're all just like putting together little pieces of it. So my stuff is, you know, I create speculative rituals and these rituals that exist in a space where blackness is like fully 
reclaimed its indigeneity because we are displaced indigenous peoples. Yeah. And what does that look like for us to kind of return to those spaces and and celebrate kind of the syncretism that's within those mystical Your traditions. Words are so fucking good. What's syncretism? <laughs> so syncretism is. They sound I, like another word. I'm <laughs> also just like I'm always nervous that I'm just like like being like I don't know an asshole. I'm just no, like, <laughs> no. You're teaching. In what's my thesis? I'm here to learn, and so use all the words that I don't know. But but what's tripping me out is how close they are to like it's it's like the difference between equality and equity. Right. No. <laughs> which exactly. I don't even really know. So syncretism. Don't don't explain equality and equity. I can do. I can Google that. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, <laughs> syncretism is really uh, the space where um, practices are melded together, like religious practices, spiritual practices. It can be other practices too. But like I'm speaking specifically, whereas like. Like you look at like black Christianity and there's so much that comes from like West African religion. Too. Yeah. 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 Well, Absolutely I mean, the, there. like I'm Cuban, bro. The, the, the whole thing of the Santeria is yeah. just like, Wooden, this is, that's a perfect, these are all perfect examples yeah, of yeah. syncretism where these, like you have this meshing, that creates a hybrid but even even christianity itself like oh, I, I i grew up in rome i'm like yo you you yeah, guys yeah. have martyrs that turn into like oh, semi deities like it's yeah. crazy and then they become like the patron saints of the like it's yes it is like uh it, it to me that that compartmentalization of control and like uh, i just talked to someone we, we you might not know who who um chelsea introduced me to and um like like one of the things that's insane to me is like, like uh, just as an example, BCE is such an interesting academic right. exercise right. because it's like you're rebelling against the Christian Gregorian calendar, but right. you're also there's an erasure there, and like oh, I love the smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we we <laughs> there's something about that third culture child kid yeah. where where you just like touch on the edges of it and you're uh -huh. like oh yeah uh -huh. yeah. And I do want to hear a little bit more. I mean, I'm fascinated with what we're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. But 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 the point with the BCE, so that we explain it to the, the broader context to everybody that's not in our little mind melt. But like that is like it. It is. It's like Satanism. Like right, Satanism is inherently tied to Christianity because it doesn't exist without it. Right. right. It is a re reaction to it. Yes. And uh, and so like, there's like this academic secularism that I think. Is it, is it, what is it synchro syncretism syncretism it does not allow for syncretism and it yeah. and it kind of like like i feel like um there's like this intellectualism about uh transcending like humanity yeah. to to a to to an extent yeah absolutely and like so in that i'm interested in that play pushing that creating these rituals that don't exist yet thus speculative rituals and in those rituals also celebrating because i think often when we get back to like that homonormativity, we're normal, we don't, but also this kind of respectability of politics. And I want to push against that and go, no, we will embrace the erotic, the hedonistic, we'll embrace those forms of beauty as well, and we'll intertwine them with the spiritual. And I think there's yeah, something yeah. really important in that kind of reclamation in the work. Um, and like, I want to walk a fine line, like I want to be careful in how I'm doing that, but I think it's really important and beautiful to do. And I love getting to work with folks in my queer community in doing that. So, like, is that, do you, like, is that mostly your circle now? Like, I like mean, your inner circle, I mean. Yeah. Now, obviously, you, you, like, we know each other. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I would say it's most of the inner circle for sure. And then, like, folks, you know, at some point I was like, oh, yeah, here's my token straight friend. And then, like, three years later, they come out. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, the conspiracies are right. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a beauty to that. We also find each other. There's ways, like, there's so many people I knew in undergrad and we just, like, clumped together. And then yeah, when yeah. we all came out, like, years later, it was like, oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, I yeah. see. Um, yeah. And, like, to me, again, like, going back to that queerness, like, I like the fact that it defies things. Because, like, you know, I also identify, identify as bisexual, but I like that queerness of being, like, we are, like... This is hard to define. I also like bisexuality because like it pushes against the binary. It's like my gender and other genders and it just like opens up a universe of possibilities. I also like it queer because it's like, what the fuck does it matter who I, yeah, who I exactly. like, you know, yeah. which is like, which is, I mean, I, I would, I think if I had been born later, it may be a term that I, I think the home, the, the homophobia yeah. that I grew up around with, yeah. like, I, I think I would like with the gen z culture i yeah, would probably yeah. be defined differently not ne not necessarily like bisexual or anything yeah, like yeah. that but i think that like but i i think just for my generation yeah, yeah like i will yeah. i won't take the one queer yeah because i'm an elder millennial and so like i grew up with a lot of that same homophobia too yeah, really yeah, intense. yeah i mean yeah. i'm like not a millennial by one year so <laughs> right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we're probably much closer than me and my brother but 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 it's interesting to me like i to me, it's comforting how that line has moved, yes. you know, yeah. like, um, but, th but I also want to ask, cause like for me, that home is Latin American people, right. you know, like right. as, as much as I like people of other cultures as, yeah. and I, I'm not like anti-white in a way that's become very popular here. Right, right. Like we still have white people on the show and like they are the majority of the art scene. Like it's, it takes effort to avoid white people. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't do it because I'm not like I'm not against that. But right. but my my the place that I come from, like it's not even Spanish speaking Latino people. It's a cultural element. Yeah, you right. know, like yeah. do you are, do you bond more with the with with the queer community than you do with your with your black community? No? I love black people. I love being black. I love being queer. And this is something that is like difficult. But like I think my central community is my like black queer community. Okay. Um. And like, I think there is a stereotype that black folks are more homophobic than other folks. That's not true. Yeah, yeah. No, I have um, not found that. But rap music was homophobic. <laughs> but that's rap music. Yeah. And like, and there's so many other things in rap. Like, there were so many other subversive strains that you know of queer folks doing that thing. But anyway, that's a rabbit hole. Well, like even Little Nas X now. You know, 100%. so it's not. It's yeah. not it, like. In fact. There was some, it was odd that that was like revolutionary, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, and so, someone made the point that like, you know, in the black community, your church organist or pianist was like generally Definitely. a gay man. <laughs> so like there, there was like a, a level of like, we don't talk about it, but this is within. Same anyway, shit with us. The point being though, like that doesn't mean that there are still uncomfortable places where I have to like sort between my blackness and my queerness. And that's a really yeah. difficult and painful thing because I love both equally. But um, I find that they're so intertwined for me. But I find that interesting because even like myself as a third culture kid, yeah. you grew up in Asia and and all of that. Like, it's interesting the the sense of community that is like inherent in that. You know, yeah. like in 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 being around people that like like I. I'm talking about even conservative Latinos. I feel comfort with, yeah. you know, because I can understand. You I know, I get that. I get yeah. that. Yeah, I know in Detroit, like I, like I had some difficult conversations that, like, sometimes ended in tears for me with more conservative members of my family, and yet there's still a bond there. Yeah, that, there's an understanding, like an understanding, uh, yeah, a common sure. language, a common experience. Yeah, and like it's almost like you. 
like i don't know i cuban cuban culture is very specifically like uh like there's even in um santeria there's like two disciplines there's one that's like uh like open to homosexuality and stuff like that and then i forget which one is which but these come from like um nigerian traditions right, right like right, the Igbo. Yeah. uh oh no no i think that i'm conflating that with uh with gozia's tribe but um but the Ifunques, like the Babalaos, the, that's where that tradition comes from. So it's it's really interesting, like how Cubans see blackness, right? Even the ones that are out here in Miami and maybe get the ire of a lot of liberals, like they have a pride in Africa. Like, um, what's it called? Not Selena. Bemba Colorada. What's uh, Celia Cruz? Like huge pop star that everybody yeah, respects yeah. it so and like and the music like so there's this reverence to like despite the the um, the, the 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 history of slavery there is still a reverence to the culture which it feels different than over here because there are like non non-black non-afro-latinos that or non-afro-cubans that participate in santeria which is like deeply rooted in this thing which is like it's paganism essentially yeah. in this really beautiful way i don't I, I love paganism oh I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. <laughs> monotheism is exhausting there's a pagan book of prayer on my shelf in the other room yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, and i think that we have we also have that like ritual element that i think yeah. it, uh but but i also get that from like that is like part of like not to be problematic but like that is an african heritage yeah. that cuban culture is proud of and in and and inherently like part of it whereas like everybody's like cubans are all white and i'm like there's a whole island full of black cubans that yeah. didn't get away yeah exactly <laughs> you know? no i mean like the the circles the intersecting circles is so interesting to me like i, I think of my work often as concentric circles like at the center is like black queer folks uh-huh um and that's like, your that's, that's your... who the work is for and everybody else, like, if you're black, you're going to appreciate it. Maybe not as much, but you're going to appreciate it. And then it just kind of moves in the circle. So if you're, like, white, white cishet male coming in from, like, Euro descent, like, there are things you're going to appreciate. And there's also going to be things, again, that are illegible to you. Um, yeah, yeah. My thesis work, um, Black Honey, um, or an Exuberance of Drapedomania, is the entire title of that. Um, for those who don't know, Drapedomania is or was the disease that plantation psychologists diagnosed slaves with or enslaved people when they wanted to escape. They, <laughs> they basically said, you must have a disease, a mania to want to escape. What is the name again? Drapedomania. Drapedomania. Oh, Drapedomania. So drapetto is the Greek word for uh, an escaped slave. Okay. And so I think I'm pronouncing that right, drapedomania. But um, I thought, well, if it is this desire for freedom, this mania for freedom, then why not an exuberance of it? So the whole title of my work is Black Honey or an Exuberance of Drapedomania. Um, and the, um, there was a permission structure around the installation. So the installation consisted of three 3d printed bowls filled with milk. And there was a film, a ritual projected into each of those from mm. the ceiling. And then they were inside fabric chambers. Um, you, if you were a black or indigenous, you could walk in. And uh, I think right next to you, there's some gourd lamps. So those are some models of that, but you could pick up a gourd lamp. Yeah. And walk into the space. Those don't, those are like just, uh, those aren't fully like built out to be the lamps yet, but you could walk into the space with that as kind of a comfort object. Um, and I just broke it. <laughs> thankfully that's a corn based plastic. It's, uh, 
I am not good at this. <laughs> it's pretty sturdy. I'm going to um, put it right there. Um, yeah, so you could walk in with that. If you were not black or indigenous, you had to ask the permission of a black person that you knew. Don't ask black people you don't know. Don't bother black people you don't know <laughs> to enter the space. And even if you could, in that in the context of that installation, you couldn't pick up the lamp. And so it was really interesting to see people navigate that and explore that and like their discomfort with it. Do I? And my big thing was like, we're not policing this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to police <laughs> that at all. I'm really curious of as it and as an experiment of like to see just how people react and move through the space. Um, and so, yeah, creating these circles, creating these permission structures, creating ritual spaces. That's all so really then, interesting to me. So uh, then, what's it called? Um, Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, they walked in and they just took a lantern. <laughs> they just, and just they were like, what? what? <laughs> right, exactly. A hundred percent, yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and it's interesting because I had someone challenge me during the opening and they were just like, well, don't you think this is like exclusionary? And I think... This person expected me to get defensive and be like, oh, no, no, no. And I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then they didn't know what to say to me. They're yeah. just like, oh. Uh, well, I saw, yeah, I, I've seen is. stuff like this before, but I like your approach to it. I saw, I, 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 or I saw one that I didn't like, which was at the Venice Biennale. I forget what year. It was like way, way, way back. There was a, a Span the Spanish pavilion. You couldn't get into it if you didn't have a Spanish passport. Uh, and like, whatever. Like right, that, right. you know. Yeah. But in this case, so that's like maybe more of a commentary on immigration. But I like the structural yeah. dynamics that you're doing. And, and I, I like people that are not agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm telling yeah. you, I, I like your politics, Leslie. <laughs> I think I have much to learn from you. Because it's, it's interesting. Like, you, you have this, uh, like, obviously, I don't understand the black perspective at all. Right. Like I, as much as I try, I, 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 I don't, but I also don't really understand the queer perspective. I have a little bit more kinship with it. I, I think yeah. because of like the, this insane homophobia that we grew up with that affected even straight cis people. Yeah. Right. If you were anything <laughs> other than like this specific standard, yeah. you yeah. were, you yeah. were, you were scared. Like, yeah. you know, and, exactly. uh, and I remember bands like Pansy Division and, and all of that. Like, so, but but what I find really interesting is that instead of it being like a neoliberal bent on all of these things, which is like kind of the overwhelming, frustrating thing in both camps, in both right. like my my inability to access like black experience and my inability to black uh, uh, access queer experience, like the leftist perspective on it, the or the 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 like because there's an implied benevolence, right that it is inclusive of people outside yeah. of this space. And yeah. it's an instructional thing, but it's also you're saying it's okay for me to make art for a very small audience. Yeah. And if you guys can't grasp that, I think that's insinely interesting. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm okay with it. No, yeah. no, I'm, 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 uh, yeah. I'm, I'm saying like that. It, it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's, 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 I think it must be empowering as a person to it like make really art is. that like only your people will understand. And it was fun getting to that point to like finally like, push past the fear and be like, yeah, this is how we're doing this. And it's kind of exciting to be in that space. So how long have you been in this comfort zone? Um, I'd say I really started pushing into that um, around 2018, 2019. And so then yeah. somewhat recent. Yeah. Five years or so. Five years is uh, still a long time ago. <laughs> I, the pandemic <laughs> squeezes time in a way that that just feels like yesterday, but you're right. Oh, for me, it makes <laughs> it feels like it was a decade ago. <laughs> the pandemic was long for me. I just, my whole time elapsed there. Like it just like disappeared. I'm just like, yeah, but last year was 2019, right? Like I completely like forgotten that like yeah. this thing happened. <laughs> 
But uh, I also want to, so let's go back into the culture, uh, third culture thing, because yeah. I also find it really interesting how universal the, the experience that you share with the people that you gravitates towards yeah despite like i mean are they all third culture kids no no they're not like one of my partners is a third culture kid so that's like shout out to them like that's you know i you know there's some resonance there but no like i often i'm the only third culture kid in my group of friends or one of a few so so that's really interesting to me because i also find that you know despite i i actually find like the abuelitas I love talking to abuelitas. Spanish <laughs> is such a powerful tool because yeah. you get to really see what the people that like every twenty, every four years, everyone's like, vote for the most vulnerable person. You know, I'm like, oh, you don't like, you don't know what they want. <laughs> you know, right, right. like um, Honduran like abuelitas are so. I mean, they're not. I'm assuming like sometimes some of them are just old women that yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, right, that right. don't have kids and, right. and generations under them. But the the that. There's like something to, to that like um, the shared language where you can actually talk to people that maybe can't speak or can't represent themselves in yeah. the English language yeah. the same way, and I find that in the one of the most maddening things in LA is that disconnect between people that are not from here, yeah. come here. And then they're like the white savior for like the yeah. whole community yeah. while they also gentrify the community. Right. And, and it's like, it, it really, it's one of those things like, oh, and that, that I feel and they don't even hear. No. Uh, and so, so that's why like, I feel like there's just, a, there's just an unspoken thing. You yeah. know, we have the third culture kid, right. which I already, like, you, like that there is a comfort there. I'm there's like, absolutely I, a comfort. we didn't even live in the same countries, but yeah. I know that you know what America looks like from the outside of absolutely. the world. Absolutely. And that yeah. is like a huge thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, something that I think, um, I don't know, this, this might be a few different tangents, but just pulling Go from Go for where... it. Dude, don't worry about the cameras. Yeah. I, this is going to be a good episode already, so let, let's just go until we're tired. All right, sounds good. <laughs> I, unless you have something to do later, but I'm, re- I'm really learning yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, let's go for it. Um, yeah. You don't get to ask these questions in normal, polite <laughs> conversation, so I'm like, right? I'm chomping um, at the bit. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, the two things that came up to me were going back to um, just that kind of like otherness outsiderness and then i went back to eligibility and i was just thinking about the fact that like you were talking about like these folks come in they don't even hear it right yeah they kind of speak and i was just thinking about like how while the haitian revolution was happening french leftists could not like french people in general but french leftists too could not wrap their heads around it They're like no black people aren't capable of this yeah yeah and like to them the revolution was illegible to the point where like they almost like didn't even freak out about it because it just didn't exist for them like yeah. they it was so beyond their bubble of understanding and right? there, there's a distinction between the haitian revolution and the coups <laughs> yes right yes exactly but yeah, even the one that hillary clinton pulled off recently it was so outside of their epistemology that they're just like I can't, you know, and so you had all these French intellectuals just like not, I I mean, one of my favorite stories about this is the fact um, that, you know, so you have the initial revolution in the late 1700s, Napoleon sends folks back. Napoleon loses more generals in Haiti than during like any other campaign in Europe. 
which yeah. I think is fascinating. But because yeah, the, the the one that he's famous for losing people is when he went into Russia. Yeah, right. And, but, and more yeah, and more and more than that. Um, and he, you know, um, the French soldiers have been taught to expect that like these enslaved folks actually really do want to come back, and once they see our force. They'll lay down their weapons because black people are cowards. They don't actually fight like that. This was a, a, a fluke. Yeah. And instead they face such an intense, you know, barrage of resistance that eventually they lose to. But there's a story that at one point, Haitian soldiers, these revolutionaries are charging a fort. Mm-hmm. Um, and the French soldiers are firing at them. People keep charging. And the French soldiers, so amazed by the courage drop their weapons and start applauding, which is like one of the most French stories. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, like they do, they do respect that. (laughs) Right. But again, there's that illegibility that I cannot wrap my head around that. And then, well, I think that oddly enough, and you tell me if you think this is a a fair comparison, because obviously there's not anybody dying in this situation, but I feel like that's how we read French, like protests over, over um what's it called over retirement like right, it right, just right. it doesn't make sense because culturally it's so it's yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I mean obviously it's not the same kind mm-hmm. of eligibility yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is it's it's um that speaks i think more to like the frustration that i have with people where it's like dude <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, oh yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Go, go ahead go ahead i was like, the other thing that like that just triggered in my thought is like and this is my personal hobby horse so but i think my concern and often frustration with white leftists specifically in the US is that everything becomes equated with economics. Yeah. If we fix economics, everything else works. Class reductionism. Yeah. Um, without an understanding that these other issues are not secondary, they are just as primary. And yeah. so, and I think this is why going back, I'm, I guess I'm citing Robin D.G. Kelly a lot, but Kelly is amazing. But like, um, you know, that's why he ultimately talks about like, Black revolutionaries have to embrace surrealism. Yeah. Um, take the lessons you can from Marxism. Take the lessons from these things. But these are ultimately like white-born concepts. And he's like, you know, can't we look at sources within the African continent for some of those same concepts and the same ideas that go much further back? How do we build from that? How do we research and like mm-hmm. dig into that? And I think that's really fascinating. That's certainly something that like I've been researching is like, who are people within my lineage or my assumed lineage anyway, because, you know, enslaved history is so intertwined, but West African lineage, who were, who were the intellectuals like back before the Europeans came, who were like thinking and talking about and building the same things. You know, you're talking about some of the greatest universities in the world on the African continent. Who are the intellectuals there? What concepts are they coming up with? How do which, we... which universities are you talking about? Timbuktu was a, a university, you know, and during the Byzantine Empire, you had universities in Northern Africa. Um, I suspect there were probably institutions even further, you know, I, I think also there happened, there's this thing that happens in the continent where like a lot of the um, intellectual weight gets put on like kind of the top part of the continent and not the sub-Saharan, but there is all kinds of stuff brilliant stuff happening in the sub-Saharan yeah. too. Um, but that's the stuff, that's the stuff that still like feels like lost to history for me. So I'm like, how do I dig into that? How do I research that? And then how do I, in a respectful way, but also in a way that acknowledges that these are likely my ancestors, pull that into my work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's so hard to, um, I like what I like about the alternative or, or alternality. Or what, alterity. Alterity. Yeah. Um, what I what I like about that 
is that it is may, almost maybe like the only way to accomplish some of these spaces. You yeah. know what I, what yeah, I mean? At least in, within your own lifetime. For sure. Um, which is like validating, like self-validation, which I'm super big on. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, man, if I need the system to validate me, like no, what is validating? Yeah, yeah. But even if it does, like what have I done? <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I mean, now I'm working within academia and that's always an interesting balance, right? Like I'm an assistant professor and I'm on a tenure track and like, what does that mean for me? And like, when do I like, when do I get sucked into the system and when do I shut up? Like, you know, yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. and maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I like, I think there's an assumption for me that at some point I need to maybe just like sit back and like other people do it because I'm too far into the system. Maybe that's not going to happen, but yeah. it is a fear of mine for well, sure. I think there's a legitimacy to like, with like, like what we talked about. Uh, my, I'm, I, I'm again, I'm going to use like uh, my white radical uh, like reference points, but like, like that's what happens to people like Abby Hoffman. I mean, right. he's Jewish, so he's not like, like a, a wasp, but, right. um, but like, it's it, it it's crazy to it's a it, it's probably a really helpful exercise to take time to imagine the world as 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 a different place right like yeah. in as a as a healing ritual absolutely and to some degree there might be some manifestation in there because you know like now we're talking about the what's the other word that you taught me this this uh, oh the syncretism synchronism <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, the kind of bringing I mean, in of those religions we need yeah. a glossary for me <laughs> <laughs> well I'm like. I also want to just like shout out like there's an author named Becky Chambers mm -hmm. who coined the term hope punk. Okay. Right? Which I love. Um, and her books are not all of her books, but a lot of her books are about like imagining this world. Like uh, she has a series called the monk and robot duology. So it's two books. Um, and in this series, the world in which you live, it's not earth, but it's an equivalent to earth is a place that had its late stage capitalism that had its environmental collapse. And people just before it's too late, were like, we can't do this anymore. And so instead of being in the world at the point of crisis, you enter the story 500 years in the future where people have figured it out. Yeah. And it's nice getting to like, it was honestly like, I was reading it while I was at Skahigan actually. And I was just like, so nice to be in this world. I was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. That like, you know, and I, I there's critiques of, oh, it's not realistic. It's not this. I'm like, who who cares? Yeah, yeah. Like, let's build these worlds here so that we can start to Like, I think this is like going to, talking about being a nerd, like Star Trek, right? Like Star Trek imagined for its, all its flaws, imagined worlds that didn't exist and gave people this idea of hope. Yeah. And I think dystopias are really important as warning signs. And I think a lot of my early work was more dystopian. I mean, right, I'm coming of age, you know, as an artist around 9-11. I think dystopianism, dystopianism has maybe fallen out of favor too yeah. because we live in one. And, right, like, and right. you don't, you yeah. want to escape when you read. Yeah. Whereas like dystopianism in the 90s was fucking the shit. You yeah. Know? Like Snow Crash. Though I would also argue that black and indigenous people have lived in dystopias forever oh yeah, yeah post-apocalyptic sure. people in yeah, some well, ways we've I'm already had our apocalypse 100 <laughs> yeah, percent. i like right. for, like i have family that's living here yeah right <laughs> you know, exactly that i'm never gonna meet <laughs> yeah you, you know 100%. so, so yeah. i i definitely am with you on that but there is a broader cultural thing right yeah, yeah. i well i think just like in the publishing industry yes, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. but i i do think they're important as warning signs but that's not there there was a glut of them for a long time and i was just like you also have to like you can't just like warn people. You also have to like, again, imagine what else. And I need a yeah. balance here. And I feel like even now there's not that much of a balance. Well, I think there is a, a deliberate movement within that publishing world because yeah. I think people like William Gibson have started to start to conceive of the idea. Like, cause basically, uh, 
the metaverse and all of that shit was heavily inspired by a book that is one of my favorite. I don't know if you've read Snow Crash. I uh, know Neil of it. Ste- I haven't read it. Neil yeah. Stevenson. Yeah. It's a great book. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah. it's just, it's like, it's kind of like as action packed as like the Hobbit was versus, right. you know, where like you're reading and you're like, you're visualizing <laughs> these crazy movies with all yeah. this crazy sci-fi tech. But then you've got like soulless people like Mark Zuckerberg who read it and, and take it as a point of inspiration. Yes, right. And so there were there like I, there are th- uh, authors that have made a conscious effort to write more utopian stuff. Yeah. The one thing that I think is also interesting is because because I grew up in Rome, I know how you and and some of my favorite artists are the futurists, just conceptually like because they're like right wing avant garde fascists. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking funny to me. Like because it's like it's it's evil, but it's also naive in this like Absolutely. really yeah. like a human way. Yeah. But um, but utopianism is like intrinsically modernist in a way that is terrifying, yes. a- and and leads leads to like there were a lot of like utopian both um, leftist and right wing utopias absolutely. that are terrifying if you read into oh, them. Oh, absolutely! Like buildings that were. Like- <laughs> I mean, this is I really like the idea, and what Becky Chambers is doing with Hope Punk isn't utopian, but it's protopian, and I I'm so sorry. I wish I remembered who coined that term, but protopia doesn't mean a utopia it means three to five steps better than where we are yeah and i like that i like that as a like utopianism is you know great to kind of like set kind of like a gold standard of like this is like what the but like i'm here for protopia and anything between that spectrum yeah because i do think that there's like um like with a lot of like the, the as leftists like uh free speech is not about like protecting people free speech is about protecting people (laughs) you know like censorship like there's never been a person that censored that was the good guy like it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen so now we're like in this post trump like thing where people's brains broke like um you like there is sort of this like uh, it's almost like i'm gonna i'm cautiously gonna say this all right but like i feel like there is a desire to be like good and and kind and 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 feminists and stuff like that but at the same time and and anti-homophobia and all of that but at the same time the desire to have the patriarchy be the one to impose the safety is terrifying to me yeah oh absolutely i think so too um yeah speak to that i don't uh, something that just hit me and i don't I don't see this as much right now as a teacher, although I do see it. But like, I have friends who work with Gen Z folks, sex educators, etc., who talk about like there is a scary strand of puritanism there in Gen Z that I'm just like, no, like yeah, yeah. we fought so you didn't. And like, and I see that within queer communities too, like where the word groomer is tossed around just as much, just for someone like walking around in leather uh, and kinky we're, we're talking about uh, we're talking about somebody that grooms pets because we're on youtube <laughs> <laughs> yes um, um but yeah they do throw that term around they throw that term around and i'm just like uh yeah, like, yeah i like i want us to like not retreat to this kind of like sex negative space where like you also see this movement with like a lot of young folks being like oh we don't want sex in movies and i'm just like what's going on y'all like yeah. like and so i i mean and i get it there's always like you know my grandparents are born in the late like 1917 1918 around then um my dad is born in 1943 my mom in 1945 my paternal grandparents 
we're much more like open and hedonistic in ways like yeah it, yeah, you know, yeah it, it is cyclical it's, it's always very a cyclical yeah, and like yeah. and like my dad like who was like the very tail end of like the war babies generation like so he's older than a boomer he's turning 80 in july but yeah like those folks tended to be a lot more buttoned up and conservative and, and that's not just like my grandfather was like a massively homophobic like kind of not great human yeah. but there was still this libertine aspect to him that my dad just saw as like shameful and upsetting so do you do you, can I ask you uh, like a question about the intersection of your two um, marginalized identities? Yeah, yeah. Do is it like do you find that gay people can be racist? Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. I mean, here's the thing: is like I because as, th- as a non-gay person, sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, yo, that dude is like not cool. <laughs> here's the thing: like. Uh, racism is the infection of this society. It is across the board. It doesn't matter where yeah, you yeah. are. And I also think that's the thing that like white left has to come to terms with because they really don't like being called racist. And sometimes they're being racist. No, just, no, 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 no. I like, agree with you. Here's the thing for me is like racism isn't an insult. I'm giving you a prescription. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. yeah. Like no, that's what that's 100%. right. Like I, 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 there is medicine that you can take for this work on it. And instead people get really in their feelings about it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm one protect, trying to protect myself and those around me. But yeah, no, I mean like the white gay community, specifically the cis gay community I found is like, can be pretty toxic. And, you know, and I'm coming as a black person as like someone who's bisexual and like the, 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 the sort of like tokenizing that happens, the the fetishization that happens is a lot. Like it's really intense. Like I don't spend much time like doing like the WeHo thing because I just have no interest in any experiencing any of that. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I mean, no, I feel like my own cluster is like a cluster just away. Like it's like, you know, it's just kind of a different world because like, yeah, like you just face that all the time. Um, yeah, and that's not to say that's across the board. It never is. No, but no, like, no. Yeah, yeah, Yes, yeah. it's absolutely present. Yeah. Because I think, okay, here's, I'll make my controversial statement for that. And I guess I live in a world where it's not so controversial, really, but this is my controversial statement. I'm really statement, poking, man. <laughs> is that um, I think every white person in this country, and I would argue in Europe, is racist, period. And it's socialized, and you have to work through that. I would include myself yeah. in that, in in the sense of like not 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 as like a virtue signal, but as a as a as an acknowledgement of like, yo, sometimes I think things and I don't know where they came from. Right. This is and and it's again not something to be upset about. This is how we're socialized. This is also why, if you're not white, you still have internalized racism. Yes. Like I'm socialized that way too. I will still have those thoughts too because it's internalized racism. And instead of people getting upset, I wish people would just like work the fuck through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. They, it doesn't want to be addressed. It yeah. and it it is. Um, and and I think to some degree, maybe it's a cultural thing where like. I, that's why I try not to be like so anti-white in in the in, in the dialogue of yeah. like of of where I sit in the spectrum, because, like I feel like if maybe being called like like what you're saying if being called a racist wasn't such an insult 
and more of a like a, a, a an upbringing thing where you work through it i would have a lot easier time with right, like right, yeah. with people that don't like uh uh arabs <laughs> or anything that like yeah. it is it, it's a it's an interesting thing to be a raw shark test for certain people yeah. you know where yeah. you're like because in miami i'm cuban as fuck right and like but over here i'm a little jewish like it, and yeah. I, and now and and it, it is an interesting thing. You start to internalize some of that. Like there was course, a period yeah. I was like, am I Jewish? Like, do I have lineage? Yeah. My grandfather's name is Israel. I've like pretty much debunked that. Yeah. But but it is one of those things where like you almost get gaslit into thinking that right, you're right, a minority, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, man, I, I find all of that really interesting. Yeah. Um, do you like, do you want to, do you have anything that you want to part on anything that I haven't been informed enough to ask you to, that, that you maybe want to add? Cause you got a lot of stuff to say, but I'm also like just a, a you know, a mostly white Cuban guy, <laughs> or, you know, Southern European, we were like multiple generations Cuban, but, right. but that probably comes with its own problems. Yeah. yeah. I, you know. God, I feel like we've covered so much. I do too. And That's like, why like, a lot of stuff I've that I've been hoping to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I feel like I, you know, I, right now I'm just on the mic. I'm just working on stuff that like, I'm really excited about. Like, I'm excited about like, expanding these worlds a little more. Like my goal, I think, is to like push towards eligibility within myself to go like, I don't completely understand that thing anymore. And of course it's coming from my brain. So like, that's always like, Eligibility yeah. is always a goal that's out of reach, but it's always a fun goal to chase, I think. Like, yeah. really what I'm interested in as well is, and I think I didn't say this, but like dream space is really central to my work as well. And the kind of weird, wonderful fluidity that happens in dreams, um, the strangeness of dream logic, the way things shift and move in dreams, the way time is elapsed. Like, you know, you've most of us have had that like five minute nap where you had like an epic yeah, dream yeah. that went over like, a thousand year journey you know yeah. and like i love that time works in different ways in dream working with video maya darren called it a you know the the video artist maya darren who i really deeply love um who worked in the 30s and 40s um, i guess up through the 50s um you know darren calls it a really beautiful and unique medium because it's it's allowing us to manipulate and travel through time itself as yeah. a medium so like this all interests me and like so dream and film always feel um, have you ever lucid dreamed yeah, I lucid dream a decent amount, actually. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, do you, yeah. Do you have it as a practice? I don't have it as a practice. Okay. Um, you don't do, like, dream journals no, and stuff like that? No, I, I, will, I will journal, like, significant dreams, things okay. that, like, stick with me. But I had nothing but nightmares until I was seven years old. Oh, my God. So, like, dream is, like, really important in kind of, like, my consciousness. But um, How does how do you survive? <laughs> I don't know. But, like, it makes, like, like, people hiccups. who watch my work are just like, that makes sense. That's, um, like, people that have hiccups for over a year. Oh, yeah. I have a friend who has permanent hiccups, and it's just like... You do? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my like, God. She's had them as long as I know. Maybe they've stopped now, but it's just like part of her life at oh, this point. I'm, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Walter Murch in the book In the Blink of an Eye, which if you haven't read, just as like an, a way to think about like film editing is such a... It's a tiny volume, and it's so beautiful, but talks about the fact that the cut shouldn't work logically, the way yeah, films yeah. cut. Um, and they work for two reasons. This one, man, the heat. Oh, yeah. It's all good. Let's just finish up. Yeah. I still have that one, probably. They work for two reasons. Um, one, when we blink, we see and change. Mm -hmm. And so the cut is the blink. But two, they move at the logic of dream. They move the way we expect a dream to be. So when we watch a movie, we go, oh, dream. 
even the most kind of like realistic, rational movie still operates more at the speed of a dream. Yeah, yeah, real for life. sure. And I think that's really beautiful. So part of my practice is like exploiting the dreamlike aspect of that and creating the installation space. One of the other things I really like doing is like using imperfect surfaces. So I'm projecting onto like wax and fabric and like, uh, you know, paper um and um fresco like i've made fresco panels to specifically project onto so just like playing with all that stuff to like create an imperfect surface because like i really think that like and i certainly had like shows where like my piece is playing on a screen and that's right for that moment and like that space yeah but often i think the minute you have that you suddenly have we're so used to like holding devices in our hands having them on our walls in our living rooms and so to me, it's really exciting to go, what if I like defamiliarize the object just a little yeah. bit and suddenly you're in dream because you're like, that's not right. That's not yeah, supposed yeah. to happen. Like I'm walking into the space, I'm looking into a bowl and there's a film playing in milk in this bowl. Yeah, yeah. What's like, going it's on? Like a, yeah. Yeah. And so like to <laughs> that's me, the that's element. the surrealist element. And so it's about like pushing that dream and doing that specifically in service of kind of like these futures, these alterities, these like other spaces and then building on that. Do you have any any artists that you can recommend that do surrealism in this particular uh, like um, what is it a, a synchrony? Oh, syncretism! <laughs> syncretism. Like using that kind of like religion. <laughs> that you word know? has so many adjectives that, I, that <laughs> I'm does, gonna have yeah. to like absorb yeah. it. And I mean, like you know, with that specifically, that's again talking about kind of talking about religion and how you kind of merge beliefs and spiritual mm-hmm. systems and religions. Um, so I don't know necessarily about well, that. Well, the, the surrealist the, side. Oh, the surrealist, yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. surrealist side of that, yeah. I would say that um, uh, Sharon Neshat. Sir, Sharon Neshat. Uh, Sharon Neshat is, um, I love her work so much. Um, I think her work captures a really gentle, really powerful surreality. Um, using my, video art and installation. My reference for surrealism is like so old. It's like not, you know <laughs> Dali and like right. and, and um, uh, what's it called the the, the apple head face guy. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> we um, don't have to remember his name. You guys you can comment you down know, below. You know um, <laughs> Maya Darren, who I mentioned before, um, her work in film. Maria Minkin or Marie Minkin, who's like one of the early video artists. Stan Brackage, of course. Okay. So these are all people that I think about in reference, but I, I'm also thinking about Ulysses Jenkins, who's like really messing with the form of like documentary within his video art. And I think all of these folks are using surrealism in different ways that's like informed my own practice of it. I would actually also argue, and I teach this, is that Julie Dash's uh, Daughters of the Dust mm-hmm. is absolutely also a surrealist film. You don't, like time doesn't really elapse or move. You're just kind of in this dream space for most of the time. There is like an A to C structure. Eventually the story sort of like moves a place, but does it actually? Is it yeah, just moving yeah. in a circle? Like you could sort of like expect someone to blink at the end of that and just start at the beginning of it and it all makes sense. And so I think these are all folks that have inspired me who are working in surrealism as well. Cool. I, I, I really appreciate this conversation because I, I, you know, like you see what people post about. Yeah. And I was like, I don't love to make people talk necessarily about their culture and stuff unless you, it comes up. But man, the like, the, I really coming into this, I really wanted to get a sense of that, like queerness that you were ta- that you speak yeah. of, yeah, yeah. because it is so central to like, you know, it is it, I can tell it's important to you. Yeah. And and it's really it's it's really fascinating to like ha- get at least a glimpse. I feel like I'm on the outer sides of the of your performance, but right, right. but it's been explained to me in a way that I can maybe have a better understanding. You know, like yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, for for coming on the show. No, it's been a pleasure. I've had a great time. It's oh, dude. I mean, we're friends now. I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. Beca- no. Especially because we know so many people in common. A hundred percent. We're gonna have to. <laughs> we're gonna have to grab a beer or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Uh, a- 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 anything that we can promote and plug for you. Um, you know, at this point, I'm sort of like, I've just wrapped up shows. Um, I am working on a show in February, Place to be Determined still. Um, okay, and so that's, that's from a up. lace grant that I got at the beginning of the year. So that's coming up. Um, at this point, though, let, yeah, not too much. We, we Maybe if uh, if I have you back on, or when I have you back on, if I don't, I, <laughs> I don't even say that ever. Um, when I have you back on, maybe we can may- talk a little bit more about the art, hustling the art side, because oh, I feel like, you, you know, you might be a wealth of knowledge for people that are trying to navigate the art world. And and I'm like happy to talk about that. And and I, I, like that's usually what I g- kind of try to pick up. But we just went off on the T- TCK thing, <laughs> third Which, culture kid. Love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still have so many questions about like your childhood too. Like you know, so oh, we yeah. we have a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, a podcast is can only be an hour long, <laughs> an hour to three hours long. <laughs> if the cameras work, it could have been three hours, but, uh, but I'll, I'll let you rest. You've also given me, you've burned bright. <laughs> so, um, what's your, what's your Instagram? Leslie? So my Instagram is Leslie, L E S L I E underscore muse, M U S E. M U S E. All right. And, uh, we'll be back next week with another guest with another topic that may or may not be art related. And, uh, thank you so much for watching.